want apple juice. Lucas wants apple juice. I know, I heard him can say I that. Can I have apple juice? Yeah, you can have apple juice. Can I have soda? Yes, you can have soda. Can I press that button? No, you can't press that button. Why? Because that's going to play the theme song. I'm not ready to start Click. the pot. What is up, guys? James Gutman here, congested on a Friday, and welcome back to High Pod. I'm Dad. And whether you found me on any of the streaming services, thank you for always spending your Friday with me. Uh, like, subscribe, hit the bell, you know, hit whatever. Just hit something. It's spring. Why not? Uh, I really appreciate you guys coming back. Thank you. Um, yeah, every Friday doing these podcasts, and I've looked forward to it. This has been a week of, as I said before, allergies for a lot of people kids home from school. Um, I don't know. Easter hangovers for people who are eating too much chocolate. Can't really get it out of their system. It was kind of a rough, <laughs> rough candy holiday. And yeah, man, this has been, it's been a good week. You know, try to make every week a good week if I can. And that's one of the things that I wrote about actually on Monday, which is one of the things I wanted to talk about here on the podcast, something that I've alluded to and I've talked about, I've never really talked in depth on it. There's been a lot of subjects that I wanted to focus this podcast on through the years and the blog as well, where I want to talk about, you know, heart health and mental health and, you know, all these different things. I talk a lot about autism parenting. I think it's important. I really enjoy getting to share my perspective on it, which to me seems like such a natural perspective. And the more I talk to people, sometimes I find out that it is unique, that a lot of people do struggle with some of the things that initially I struggled with in terms of having a child who has autism, a child who to this day is nonverbal and does require certain understandings and how to approach things. For example, Easter morning, man, we got up on Easter morning. I had my kids, they came out, you know, my daughter's into it, you know, and even that's starting to dissipate a little bit. She's, you know, 13 going on 14. So, you know, waking up for Easter is great, but she's not like, and I mean, you know, she's like, oh, cool. You know, that kind of thing. Whereas he doesn't care. Doesn't matter. It's a couple of things were cute. He, I gave him this uh, this stuffed doll they got called Orphe. They sold it at Target. It was very expensive. But it's like a giant squishy, and he hugged it. That was really cute. So I enjoyed that. But for the most part, I didn't care. I was like, "Look at this! You got chocolate!" And he just like taps it. He's like, "Yep." And he wants his iPad. And I'm like, "Don't you want these cookies?" And he takes the back of his hand and he pushes it away. And I'm like, "You're a jerk." Okay, fine. You don't need to, to have candy, but you get used to it and you realize that certain things are different. And there's certain things about raising a child with autism that are going to be less exciting than they would be for another 10, 11 year old. I get that. And I accept that. And I think people focus on that. You know, if you turn around and you go, um, you know, Easter's going to come and my 11 year old son doesn't care about his candy, people will be like, oh, that's sad. And truth be told, it is a little sad. There's definitely a point where if you told me at the beginning of this journey that that was going to happen, I'd be like, oh, really? man. But now it's just life. It's just what we do. But there's also parts of his personality that make him different than another 10, 11 year old. The fact that he'll just come over and give me a kiss on the cheek. The fact that he'll um, sit with me and watch TV and we just kind of like hang out. Or even the other day, man, we're just sitting there. He just took my hand, just held my hand. I'm like, oh my God. And he took a picture of it. Cute things like that, that maybe he wouldn't have done um, if he was verbal or he didn't have autism. 
So there are different things. And what I like to do is I like to focus on the positives, tell people about that, show that some of the negatives are things that you become used to, you accept. They're not really as jarring, sincere, your everyday thing, but there are so many positives to having a child with autism. So I want to write the blog about that. I like to share things about autism parenting, however you want to term it. I know people get offended by that. Autism, dad, come on. How dare you take your son's thing and make it? I can't, I can't say autism, dad. I got it. But autism parenting, I think, is a needed phrase because it is different, uh, at least for me, how I how I experience autism in my family. And I know different people have different experiences for autism, which makes it such a hard word to talk about, such a hard thing to write about, because people will read the headline of some of my writing and be offended immediately until they get into it and they read it and they go, oh, his son is nonverbal. It's not... You know, it's not like he's on the spectrum and there's maybe a few things he does here and there. In, in which case, yeah, parenting is a little bit different, but for the most part, there are a lot of similarities to, uh, you know, neurotypical quote unquote parenting. Uh, but with my son, it's special needs people, they know immediately uh, he's nonverbal. It requires a whole different form of communication. So being able to interact with him and write about it is very important to me. And I try to do that with the blog there. But on Monday, Monday was important because Monday to me, was a blog that ties up so much of my life. In many ways, it was probably, for me, one of like the top most important blogs that I've written, for me personally. And I don't know if you guys know these. There's certain ones that have, through the years, kind of slipped through the cracks. Certain ones do great. Sorry, my son drank your coffee. The most read blog post we've ever had on here. People love it, it, it and, and hate it <laughs> at the same time. Uh, you get people who either, this is this reminds me of you know my kid. And it's like, oh, that's great. I'm glad. And then you have people like, you didn't even pay for the coffee. And it's like, well, I kind of did pay for the coffee and you're an idiot. But I get it because what happens is a lot of people read that story, which was supposed to be a humorous story about the embarrassment of having a child with impulse control issues, a young boy, a nonverbal, that we're trying to teach how to be better taking coffees off of tables when people aren't looking and drinking them. And it's not just off of tables. I had him one time try to take a drink out of one um, at a swimming pool. One of these public pools, there was a, an old Starbucks cup at a payphone, a broken payphone. And he went over and he grabbed it. And I don't know, man, maybe I blocked it out. He may have put the straw in his mouth, may not have, whatever. He doesn't have hepatitis. And this was a few years ago, so we're good. But it definitely caused issues. So I wrote this blog. People responded to it. It was great. It was not one that I consider to be fundamentally um, important in my own personal growth, my own personal whatever. The one on Monday, much like some of these others, was important to me because it tied in a lot, a lot of years, a lot of updates, a lot of evolution, the kind of thing that as I'm writing it, I'm learning about me and I'm learning about where I am right now. It was about how, it was called uh, How I Live After Nearly Dying which I don't really say out loud that much because I feel a little, I don't know, disingenuous. I had a heart attack. I had multiple heart attacks through the years before the age of 35, but I didn't know what they were and they all passed. It wasn't like I, I had a heart attack and I fell to the ground and was unconscious and they called the police. No, I, I would have these episodes where I, I couldn't function for a minute, two minutes, and then it was done. To the point where, and if you go back in time and you read some of the older blog posts about it, by the time I got to the hospital initially after being diagnosed as having a heart attack by the walk-in center, there was no evidence that I had had a heart attack at all. They wanted to send me home. They thought I was a drug addict. Bothered me. Upset me. Didn't understand. To this day, I still don't understand somebody who would 
do a little heroin, a little Viagra, and then go to the hospital and be like, I don't know what's wrong with me. Like, you really have to be an idiot. I didn't have that happen. I had a heart attack, but I didn't almost die from the heart attack. Went to the hospital, had a fight with them to do a test to find out why I was having a heart attack. When they did, they discovered substantial blockage in all of my arteries. And I ended up with a quintuple bypass within hours. Still to this day bugs me out. My daughter and I are watching Smallville. This is our thing right now. We, we find TV shows and we watch it. I like Smallville. It's been pretty good. I'm a Superman fan. If I'm going to watch any superheroes, it's going to be Superman, Batman. I like DC better. Fight me, whatever you want to say. And in order to not give you guys spoilers, I'll just say a character on the show has a triple bypass. And they treat it like this dude is dead. Even after he survives the bypass, they're all like, it must be really hard for him with his heart issues. I had a quintuple bypass. Granted, 10 years apart. I mean, even that, it's not even that far apart. I think now I'm like, well, this show's 20 years ago. And it's like, well, my heart surgery was 10 years ago. But it's scary. I, I always thought about it. Like in the 80s, they would have just left me in a room to die. I would have been done. So I had this surgery. And in the hours leading up to it, I found out right before I went in that there was a 97% success rate for the surgery, which sounds insanely great. Uh, but 97% means I guess you don't die that day. But there's a recovery period and there was five years and all these years you had to wait to make sure that you were all right. I had to change. I changed my whole lifestyle. They told me, yeah, you don't have to. And just whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I'm just like, that's awful. Thank you. Uh, but I did, you know, and all that stuff. But when I woke up the next day, everything felt different. It was so weird because I was, I was out of the game. I really thought I was going to die. This isn't like some silly thing that people say, like, I thought I was going to die when I was on that roller coaster. No, I really thought I was going to die. I was ready for it. Everything looked different. It was so strange. And I've, I've always talked about this one moment being in there, getting prepped for the surgery and thinking back on the last time I was home, thinking back on the people that I had seen and having it feel like a TV show that was in its final episode. And the show ends at 10 p.m. and it's 9.50 and you look at the clock and you realize, oh my God, some of these characters we're never going to see again. Everybody who's been on the show already, you know, like this character, that character are gone forever. That was their last appearance. And that's what happened with me. I'm laying there on the table and I'm thinking all these people who I haven't seen. And as I'm getting prepped, no one was there. This was another thing that made me think, oh, I'm, I'm totally dead. It was quick. Uh, it was sudden. I was in one ambulance to the next place to the next place until I got the surgery. So by the time I made it to the hospital for the surgery, nobody was there. I had no family there. I had no friends. Nobody had gotten there yet. And they were rushing me in. So, you know, I think they, they put my ex-wife on the phone. Well, she was an ex then. That would have been freaking weird, right? Um, that was it. But that's all I got. I got like a, a one-minute phone conversation. In my head, I'm just like, oh, I'm dead. This is what this is. This is, I've actually already died. And this little room I'm in right now is like the transition to whatever. I'm really, my head was a million different places. They wheeled me in. I had a little blue shower cap on my head. I always say I rem the last thing I remember was going down a hallway, looking up, seeing one of those circular mirrors that they have, like at like the 7-Eleven. They had it in the corner of the, the hospital hallway. And I just watched myself. And then I don't remember. Next thing I remember was waking up and literally having a tube in my throat. It felt gigantic. It was terrible. Uh, to this day, now you think about it as, as somebody who's not having surgery and you're like a tube down my throat. How do people survive like that? I don't know. I remember waking up and like, oh, um, 
And it was weird. I woke up, I felt weak, which I've, I never feel weak. And I'm not saying that to be like an alpha male type of thing, but I've always felt like I could do anything. You know, if something has to be lifted, if, if somebody has to have help moving furniture and they call me over, I just pick it up. We had this one kid, man. He was, um, you know, a friend of, of my ex-wife, her friend's husband. I don't know. He was a pain in the ass. They wanted me to move, help him move this uh, nightstand. And they kept making a big deal. Of, I just need your help. Man. Can you come over and help me move the nightstand? All right. So I go over there and I swear on my life, this thing was like maybe like 20 pounds. So I'm like, and he now is like managing. He's like, so all right, I'm gonna grab this. You grab that. I'll go up. I'll sit on the count of three. And we'll go. So I just took it underneath. I lift. I go, where do you want this, dude? He said, like, well, now you're just showing off. I'm like, no, I don't want to sit here for hours figuring this out. Like, this is not heavy. So that's always been my thing. Like I, and it could be at some point I'm going to do it and it's going to screw me over. But I just lift things and I move things. And I always feel like, let's just do it. Just get it done with. I have things in my basement in this house that I've moved down there alone where people are like, how the hell did you get that down here? I bought a bar, a um, a homemade bar that's made out of like brick and wood. This thing is gigantic. It's heavy. I brought it into my house and down the stairs by myself just because I'm like, what am I going to do? Wait for somebody? You know, and there's a chance I'm going to break it, break a bone, whatever it is. I just do it. And I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that's my personality type. It's how I've always been. So waking up from this surgery and feeling like I couldn't move because I couldn't was messed up. I felt like there was a bag of broken glass in my chest. I felt like the slightest movement, it was all going to shift. I was going to break and I would die again. That's all I kept thinking. In fact, I went home on December 20th, 2012 which is its own weirdness because I was always into the Mayan prophecy of December 21st, 2012 and telling people the world was going to end and it's definitely going to happen. I really believed a lot of this stuff was going to come true. I was a different person back then. And then the first full day I was back home was December 21st, 2012. That always bugged me out a little bit too, but it was right before Christmas. So we went to Christmas and I couldn't carry the presents in from Christmas Eve that we were still being invited to. I couldn't bring in you know, things for my kids. I had to really rely on people and it was bizarre and humbling and different. And in some ways a rebirth, you know, this new approach to the world. But I knew then I had to live differently. I knew there were people who shouldn't be in my life. I had family members that had to go. A lot of the issues that I had, and not even because it was genetic, but a lot of the issues that I had began because of family members. This happened, I had just had a fight with family members before I had the heart attack. And when I say just had, I mean within minutes of it happening. My issue had been stress, had always been what caused um, these issues, I guess you could say. Stress, annoyance, I hate to say anxiety because I've, I've had anxiety in my life. I don't have it now. Again, that's a lie. I think I do have it now. I just don't experience it as people experience anxiety. I get like physical, my stomach hurts or like I'm achy and I don't know why. And I'm like, oh, I'm worried, I guess, about something because I don't really get worried. There's no more of that. But when I was younger, I would take the regents exam and science regions. Holy crap. Earth science, sequential math too. Ah, the hell sequential math too. Hated it. You used to get anxiety like you wouldn't believe. Don't get it anymore. I would get annoyed easily. I would get angry. And it's because the adults that I grew up around got annoyed easily and got angry. And I would emulate that because I thought that's what you were supposed to do. Or I thought that that was the natural response. Like if something doesn't work out, 
oh my God, I'm, it's crazy. I grew up around people who would always be annoyed. You know, somebody would be like, how are you doing? I'm having the day from hell. Why? I don't know. <laughs> that would be every day was like that, man. And that's how I lived. I lived that same exact way. And I didn't, I knew that that was wrong. And when I came out of my surgery, I knew it was wrong. And I got rid of the people who were doing that to me. And there's more to it than that. I mean, I didn't just move on from certain people just because I needed to clear my head and all this. I moved on from certain people because certain people, you know, shouldn't be there. Uh, Whether it was how things happened during childhood, which I had a rough childhood. Don't talk in depth about that, but yeah, it was pretty bad. There's a lot of of things that, I don't know, maybe you can or can't imagine. I know I have stories that I tell people and they stare at me like, oh my God. I'm like, yeah, it's not good. So don't talk about that. So, But it wasn't even necessarily that because you try to get past that. But it was when people who were like that in your life, and this is a piece of advice that I haven't given, but it's something that I've, I've always believed. People who did terrible things to you when you were younger and have learned from their mistakes and gotten better and worked through it are people you keep around. That's okay. But people who are going to continue to try to hurt you, people who are going to continue to try to do bad things to you, they have to go. You can't have that in your life. It's not good for you. It's not good for them. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for your kids. It's not good for whoever you have around. So I knew I had to do that. I knew I had to eliminate some people from my life, and I did that. I realized that there were people I wanted in my life, people I wanted around me, the personality types, maybe not specific names. In some cases, yes, some cases, no. But for the most part, people who had specific personality types, people who encouraged me, people who believed in me. People who said things to me that I normally just said to other people, these positive words of of encouragement that I wasn't used to ever. I never had people encourage me. When I started this blog, I told somebody very close to me about it. And their first response was, aren't you going to run out of things to talk about? That was the very first sentence out. And I remember being like, no, I hope not. What the hell? You You get out of that feeling like, why did you say that? I just didn't want that around me anymore. It wasn't helpful. So for some people, it was immediate. Gone. Some people, it was immediate that I wanted them there. But for them, for some people, it took a while. And it's still an evolving concept for me. Because you have to know who belongs there. You don't want to eliminate the people that should be there. You don't want to, you know, get rid of people that you want around. Just out of spite or out of, I don't like to be spiteful. I don't like to do anything spiteful. I like to do things that's important and because it's right, you know? So it took years. I got divorced in 2020. I was separated in late 2019, separated without leaving the house. And then COVID hit. It was God's practical joke on me. And I was in the house and I remember being stressed out because what ended up happening was, and when I say stressed out, again, physical manifestations, not necessarily um, you know, ooh, like I wasn't like, you know, running around like heavens to Murgatroyd, but I definitely was dealing with a lot of problems trying to figure out what is this. And what made it even worse was being separated and being stuck in the house at the same time made it all feel almost pretend like we're doing it. We're not doing it. I'm still here. And I pretty much stayed in one room, my, my office, which was my life. I'd always kind of done that. Didn't like it. Didn't like living like that. But nothing felt real. It didn't feel like I was going to end up, you know, doing it. Like, I mean, I knew I was doing it, but you didn't picture doing it. It was this whole thing. 
would have been different if I had moved out immediately and kind of dealt with that. But I couldn't, definitely couldn't. In fact, it was so bad that by the time I did get a place, you know, at the beginning of 2021, uh, I was limited. It was so hard to find a place. It was like four or five places. My real estate agent was my high school English teacher who came back to play a, a new role on the rebooted series that was my life. They were like, we really like the English teacher on the original show, but you know, maybe she could be something else, like a real estate agent. Could I be a real estate agent? So I found this place and I loved it. But I was worried about a lot last year. And this is, again, the evolution of, of who I am and what I'm doing. And as somebody who always wanted to do the right thing, I knew I was doing the right thing. Somebody who wanted to live a life that was positive, somebody who wanted to live a life where he lived, I knew it was the right thing. You know, I wanted to do everything, as I had told the nurse in the hospital. What are you going to do now? Everything. She was like, oh. and I always thought about that. I'm like, everything. I want to do everything. And I was doing everything. I was living. But I always had a little thing in the back of my mind going, dude, this is a manic episode. You, what did you do? You know, that little voice in the back of your head. Why did you do, why are you here? What did you do? You've never had to like balance everything yourself. You've had a safety net, all these things. I had a whole safety net for years. You've never really been alone. What are you doing? You've never lived alone. And I would be like, shut up voice. But think about it, you know? Worry about my kids, little voice in my head. Your kids are going to be so messed up. Your son is going to regress. How is he going to do these things if, you know, you guy, you know, he's in one house half the week and your house the other half of the week. You don't know what he's doing there. Maybe he's not working on these things. He's not going to do these things. He's, his life skills are going to regress. Your daughter's going to hate you. Your daughter's 13. Every story of a kid who's messed up begins with a divorce. And it's like 13, you idiot. She's going to be a teenager. What are you doing? Like, oh my God, holy crap. I had family friends, and I use that term extremely loosely, um, who I hadn't talked to in a while, who I thought we were all friends with, mad at me about stuff I didn't do, you know? Nice. You know, why would you do that? I'm like, what are you talking about? And then they don't even care. It's not even like you can explain it where I'm like, I think you have the wrong information because what you're saying isn't true. They don't care. They just want to yell at you because they're defending, they're picking sides. I had family gone. I had already not talked to my own family. And now I had the only family that I had known since 2000, you know, five, 12, technically. The family that I had, they were gone, you know, because they're not yours. They're the in-laws, you know? And if you're not no longer in law like with somebody else, you don't have those in-laws anymore. So they were gone. So all these things were happening. And I remember at the time explaining to somebody and saying, you know what it feels like? You ever have something broken? So you take it all apart and you put the pieces on the floor and then you sit back and you look at the pieces and you think, oh my God, what did I do? I'm not going to be able to fix this. That is how I felt. Maybe not every day, maybe not every moment, but a lot of times I felt that way. I felt like I had really leapt sometimes before I leaped. Wait, leapt? Le That's not a thing, right? Thought before I leapt? I don't know what the hell the phrase is. Whatever it is, I didn't do it. I didn't leap and leapt, none of that stuff. I just ended up where I was. And I worried. And Easter was the most memorable time because it was the first major holiday since leaving uh, the house. It was the first one since the divorce. I went out of my way to make sure it was a major thing. We, we went to Six Flags in Jersey and we went to this ride-along safari, right? It takes three hours to get to Jersey. The safari was like an hour, three hours back. I spent like eight hours on the road on Easter. Nobody liked it. The best thing was there was an ostrich that came to the car. I'm like, that's pretty freaking cool, I guess. 
tried everything I could. I wanted to go over the top to make my kids happy and nobody really cared. I wrote a blog about taking an Easter picture at the mall. It was, I hesitate to say pathetic, but it felt pathetic as I was writing it about having my daughter do that favor for me, having her take the picture with the Easter bunny, even though she didn't want to, and explaining to her that it was for me, I wanted it to be a good memory. And I felt bad at the time writing that, but it was important and it was a big piece. A year later, it is Easter, 2022. And we went out for Easter and it was a disaster. <laughs> it was a disaster on Sunday. I didn't say it in the blog, it was kind of winning us the narrative, but here's what makes it special. Check this out. I made reservations for a buffet at a place that had a buffet and a price fix menu, right? Everybody that heard about where we were going were like, that's awesome. This place is amazing. They do this whole setup for the holidays. You can walk around and take pictures of me at the Easter Bunny. and do the I'm like, great, this is awesome. So we left two hours early so we can walk around and do stuff. We got there. It was a little chilly. It wasn't fun. My daughter's like, this is for little kids, which would be great because her brother's a little kid. But as I mentioned, he don't care. So there was no, he didn't, he was just mad at me because he wanted the iPad and he was hungry. So he's like, <laughs> and he's whining as we're walking. I'm holding his hand. Imagine holding a little kid's hand through an Easter wonderland as they're just like, <laughs> people are looking at us. I'm like, hey, not a big Easter fan. I, whatever. She's not happy. So we end up like kind of driving around and we ended up driving for an hour into like the northern part of Long Island that she's never really been to, looking at the houses, talking about things, talking to her about religion and family and all these deep conversations that we're having. And he's in the back just hanging out, looking out the window. I think he fell asleep at one point. We get to the place for the restaurant and I go in, I'm like, let's go in now. It's like half an hour early. Maybe they'll take us. And I say to them, can you seat us? And they go, oh, yeah, we're a little early, but you know what? Let me get the, you know, the 3.30 people out of the way. We're at four. And then we'll see you. I'm like, all right, cool. 4.05, they finally call us in. I took a million pictures while waiting, surrounded by people. We're sitting on a ledge. It was, and then we go in and we sit down and there's menus on the table. And I'm like, wait a minute. Now keep in mind, I've already prepaid for this meal. And I turn to the server as she comes over, the woman who's giving us water or whatever. And I go, I go, should we just go up? And she goes, no, no, no. I go, okay. She leaves. Still now I'm worried. And I even told my daughter, I said, I'll feel more settled when we, when we start eating. Long story short, I had prepaid for the price fix menu. They had taken the wrong reservation for me and I was stuck. I found that out. My son is having a little conniption fit. They had really good bread. They had like the cinnamon roll bread that they were eating and the kids love the bread. I told my daughter, my daughter was like, the bread was good. I'm like, well, then it should be worth $90 because I paid a huge amount of money for this meal and it was like an Applebee's meal because it was honestly, it was like a salad and then like she got mac and cheese. I, I also got them kids menus, a kids uh, prices, right? Because they both, my daughter technically a little old, older than 12, but whatever. I figured it's a buffet. We'll go up, we'll get food. No, no, but I ended up getting her a kid's meal. So now she had order from the kid's menu. So she got mac and cheese, which ended up being the best of the bunch. She got chicken fingers. I got this salmon that was smaller than salmon I have at home. On top of it, the server didn't come to our table for half an hour. And we didn't start eating the first thing until 45 minutes in. They couldn't refund me, even though I made a big stink about it because I had already prepaid. I have to call during the week, maybe get a credit. It's a whole thing. Miserable in many ways. And we ended up having a good time. And it made me so happy. It was like afterwards, we went to Starbucks. I drove them back to their mom's. And, you know, even my daughter, I'd written to her. I go, you have a good Easter? And she wrote, yeah. 
which is a huge thing for her to say, as everything with her is IDK, IDK, you know. She had said that she wants to go back to medieval times, which used to be our old Easter thing. So I think we're going to do that from now on. But it was, it was such a difference from a year ago. A year ago where I went out of my way and I made them go to Jersey and I busted my ass and it was okay, but it was like still miserable. Nobody liked it. Everyone was mad. I think I got mad a few times, you know, because I would get angry at myself. Like if things didn't work out, I'm like, what am I doing? There was no anger yesterday. No matter how bad it was, the only time that there was any frustration was when they weren't serving us and I found out I had the wrong reservation. And even then, her and I were on the same page or I'm just like, I'm, like, I'm going to make a stink. Should I go crazy? She's like, oh, make a big, make a scene. I'm like, make a scene, really? She's like, yeah. It was good. It was a good day and I was, I felt settled, which sounds so, it sounds so weird to say it now because you don't really know you're not settled until you are. And then you're like, oh, this is okay. Because even now, there's still things in my life I wish were a little bit different. Things that I wish I could fix a little bit better. And when I say fix, I mean like going forward, just like goals I have and aspirations and things that I want to make work better, you know? And I'm in the process trying to do that and all that other stuff. But overall, looking back 10 years ago, one year ago, I feel good. I feel happy. And I'm glad that I've made the decisions I've made. And I'm glad that I've approach life the way I have. And I'm just glad that things are where they are right now. And that was important to me. And that was why I wanted to write what I wrote on Monday. And that's why I wanted to explain living uh, after almost dying because dude, like, we're all going to die. That's the weirdest thing. Every single, every person is going to die. We don't talk about it. We don't think about it, but we all are. I am, you are. You know, somebody listening to this might be dying today and not even know it. You don't even know, man. Any of us can just die today. This happens every day. When I had that surgery, I didn't know it was going to happen. I started that day. I wrote an article about different strokes. And within two hours, I was being carted off to the hospital. That's how life works. And I think at the end of it all, the only thing you have left is the regret over what you didn't do or what you wish you did. And you might get a second chance. You might not. There might be something after this. There might not. It's all about now. The only thing that's real is right now in this moment. Everything else is, you know, the future is a dream. The past, I mean, it might not even exist. The past could just be something that was injected into your brain while you were asleep. It doesn't matter. Right now, where you are, you, this is what's important. It's what's important to me. It should be what's important to you should be what's important to every single person on the planet. Um, when I made that choice to live my life differently, I did it for me. And I did it because I knew that that's what I needed to do. And I try to remember that. And there have been times that I've forgotten it. And this year, more than ever, I'm remembering it. And I want this next year coming up to be a testament to that. I want this next year to be a year that I remember, a year that I feel good, a year that I feel settled and a year that I remember as the one that I finally made many of the changes, both internally and externally, that I've needed to make for a long time. So I'm good. I'm happy. And hopefully you are too. From there we flip. Uh, we talk about the other blog that went up this week. A little less hippy-dippy, a little less in your head, uh, but still at the same rate, an important one. One that I thought was um, something I want to talk about for a while. One of those articles, and I've talked about this before, part of the reason I started the podcast, started the blog, was that I would have conversations with people about my son, 
And their responses sometimes didn't match the story that was coming out of my mouth. I would tell them something funny and they thought it was sad. Or I would try to tell them something that he did and I don't know, I could tell by the look on their face that they almost felt bad for me. Like, oh, this poor guy, his kid doesn't talk. Eh, my kid doesn't talk. But that doesn't mean that every single story I tell you is sad. That doesn't mean that everything that happens is bad. Um, and this was an example of that. And this story was called The Real Reason I Don't Want My Nonverbal Son Melting Down in Public. And it's something that I could imagine telling somebody before I wrote the blog and seeing a reaction that I was not happy with. The idea of this blog was simple. It was to explain why I try to stop my son from having moments around people where he melts down, one of which is picking him up from school. I pick him up from school and he has meltdowns. Not every day, which makes it even harder. If it was every day, you go, okay, it's every day. Uh, you never know when. He just he sees me and sometimes he'll fall to the ground crying. Sometimes he comes out and gives me a hug. We never know why. We never know when. Just is what it is. What I started doing is I started picking him up early from school, figuring that when I say I pick him up early, I mean, I'm only talking like 20 minutes, half an hour, just enough that I can park in the handicap spot, get him out, bring him into the car. But I started doing this because I didn't want him having these meltdowns around other people. And I know the assumption when you hear that is that I'm embarrassed. His dad must be embarrassed. And, you know, full disclosure, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I don't care. Like, I, Obviously, a little piece of me cares after, you know, he's 11. So after all these years, a lot of that embarrassment is gone. And that's something that you just have to really experience it to get it. In the beginning, I could imagine being embarrassed over things like this. Now I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. A little part of me is like, who are you looking at? But to be honest with you, at the pickup that we do, uh, my son does go to a mainstream school. He's in the special needs program. That means that there are neurotypical kids around, neurotypical parents around, but the exit that he comes out of has all the special needs family. So it's not so many eyes on me, not judgmental stuff. Like I could imagine if this was at the mall or the library or I don't know, a church, whatever. It's not. It's at the front of the school where my son and his special needs classmates go and they come out. So it's fine. So I'm not really too worried about that. For me, the thing that got me was I started to think about how he viewed the situation. Because to this day, again, my son is 11, but there are still so many things that I don't fully know 100% about how his mind works, what he's thinking, what he wants, how he feels. And when it comes to crowds and people around him, the assumption that I would make and that other people would make is that he don't care. Whatever, man. People, people schmeeple, whatever. Just do your thing. And when he comes out, if he's upset, if there's people around, he's going to throw himself on the ground because to hell with people. The only thing that gives me pause on that is that there have been times in social situations where Lucas has held himself together. He's been good around people. He's been quiet. He's been capable. He's been, you know, respectful in ways that I wouldn't see one-on-one. -on -one. We've had days like that where we'll go to a, a dinner thing, a holiday or something, and he'll just sit in his chair and just settle in and not move and not get up. Whereas at home, he might want to get up and do this or do that. And I've always thought, I'm like, does he get it a little bit? You're not supposed to be doing this? And I'll look at me, like, you're doing good, buddy. I'll give me anything. Good job. Hey, good job. And I'll look at me and kind of, you know, but I don't know for sure. I can't be like, are you being cool because these people are here? No idea. So there's a part of me that thinks he might be aware of those around him and what's expected of him, which tells me that if that's the case and he comes out of school and he sees all these people around him and he still throws himself on the ground, literally throws himself on the ground. Uh, I sent a, a picture uh, to a friend of mine. Uh, it's a Lauren. She 
she has a son who goes to the same school. She does pick up. Sometimes she goes through the same thing. She goes, how did pick up go? And I sent her a picture and it was around the corner and you just see his sneaker laying down on the ground. I go, that's his shoe. <laughs> you just see him on the floor. Literally throws himself on the ground. And I think to myself, if he knows these people are around and knows that it's important for him not to do this and can't stop himself from doing it anyway, what must be going through his mind? How upset must this kid be to be dealing with the world around him? And it makes me sad. And I'm like, would he want an audience for this? Maybe it's so overwhelming that he can't stop himself, but he wants to. You know, all these things go through my head. And the thing that gets me is that there's a large percentage of a chance that I am completely wrong in that thinking. That he really just doesn't care. It doesn't matter to him. I should just get him and pick up, let him throw himself on the ground, just pick him up, whatever, make my life easier. But if there's even a 1% chance that I'm wrong, if there's a 1% chance that he doesn't want to have these meltdowns in front of people, I can't let him do it. It's important, man. I'm his dad. You know, just because he can't tell me these things doesn't mean that I shouldn't protect him from it. If there is a small chance in my brain that this is what he needs or this is what he wants, as his father, I have to be a part of that and I have to help him through that. And that's the real reason why I don't want my nonverbal son melting down in public. It's important. And it's not some major thing. I know people read this like, you're a good dad. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. I love reading those comments. I think a lot of parents would do the same thing for their kids, whether their kid was verbal, nonverbal. Nobody wants their kid to be embarrassed around people. Nobody wants there to be a, a chance that that could happen. And that's what worries me. I love my son. I want him to be happy. He deserves all the respect in the world. And that's why I do it. I'm glad I could write this. I'm glad I could get it out. I'm glad I could explain to you guys where I'm coming from. Because I think sometimes people don't fully get it. Uh, and sometimes it's important to get. So yeah, that's how that works. That's how I feel. So again, both of these blogs up on highblogomdad.com. Be sure to check them out. Thank you so much for all your support. Uh, and with that, we're going to skip right over to a moment this week that, I don't know, I think you guys can already tell I'm there. The moment of sanity. Here you go. This is your moment of sanity. That's right. This week's moment of sanity. Um, I don't even know if it's a moment. It's just me. Man, I got to tell you, this has been, um, been an interesting week. Every once in a while, I have days like this, weeks like this, times like this, where I don't know, man, my, my approach to the world around me shifts, changes. And I don't know, I, I I hesitate to say it's bipolar, because I don't know, I'm bipolar. And there are negatives to being bipolar, but I also have found in my life that there are positives sometimes to being bipolar. Because for me, and I don't know if it's true for everybody, I'm not professing to say what everybody else, you know, is thinking or how they feel bipolar disorder. But for me, I don't I don't necessarily get overly angry. I don't get overly I don't know. And I get in my head, but I don't get like, I read stories about some real negatives that come from bipolar disorder. And we've talked about this. A lot of celebrities I find out after the fact, I'm like, oh, that was bipolar, you know? And a lot of times, you know, I watch these, you know, crime shows or these interrogation shows and they talk about how the the subject is bipolar and it's always some terrifying thing where I'm like, oh my God, that's that's bipolar. I'm not that. For me, bipolar just takes my emotions kind of up and down at different times. And I've, I've had rough times with it. I've had times where in one day I'll go up and down, up and down. And as I've gotten older, 
as I've settled my life a little bit more, I've, I've balanced better than I ever dreamed possible. I haven't really had too much of an extreme high, too much of an extreme low, but every once in a while I get kind of in this quagmire in this, in this funk where I don't know kind of how to approach things. Things kind of beat me down a little bit and this could last a while, man. And I've been through and I've noticed this, especially with the divorce and everything I went through and I talked about it earlier in the show, it's kind of a negative approach to the world. I've, I've, I've tried to, I've tried to second guess a lot of stuff. I've tried to get ahead of things. I've tried to fix things that I had no business fixing, um, make things happen that shouldn't have happened or rather blame myself for things that weren't happening when they weren't my fault, those kind of things. And then one day you wake up and it's just different. And that's where I am right now. I woke up, I think last week, different, just feeling different, just being different. The circumstances around me are all the same. People are the same. Situations are the same. Things are the same. People react to me the same. People who are nice to me are nice to me. People who weren't nice to me aren't nice to me. Some people who I thought were nice to me, I realized aren't nice to me. All these things start to happen. And all of a sudden, my brain just tells me like, dude, enough, enough. And it reminds me of my kids because I do that with... You know, with Lucas, I've done that with my daughter too, where like they'll get over the top and you deal with it. And you're just like, oh, what's the matter? Are you hungry? Do you want to eat something? You want chicken? You don't want this chicken. Okay. You don't want, do you want, do you want popcorn? You don't want popcorn? Okay. What do you want? Do you want and you keep doing this over and over again. Just kind of appease them. What do you want? Do you want something? And all of a sudden you're just like, enough, enough, stop. And I did that with myself this last week. I just stopped. I was like, stop it. All these things you're doing, stop it. If you don't like this, then don't do this. If you don't like the way this person's talking to you, don't let them talk to you like that. If you don't like the direction that this is going, be proactive. Nobody gets points for being miserable. And I don't know how much that blog that I wrote on Monday played into it, but it really did. And it reminded me of that time period and the fact that we are all seriously just spinning around until the end of it all, you know? And what can we do? live a life that we're not happy with and complain to who? Who cares? Honestly, who cares? Like that meme when that girl's like, you're talking to children. And the guy's like, who cares? Like we used to laugh at that and watch that. Me and my daughter, if you've never seen it, it's great. But it's true. Nobody cares. And I've talked about it in other situations here. I talked about it with work, right? When I was in my 20s or my teens and I would need to take off for work and I would go to the manager and be like, I gotta talk to you about my grandma is sick and she's sick and I have to go visit her in the hospital and I don't know. And he's just like, can you get coverage? I'm being so offended. Like what? This guy doesn't care that my grandma's dying in the hospital? And now I'm like in my 40s and I get it, man. He didn't care. Why would he care? It didn't affect him. But life, nobody cares about that. You can't go back to anybody and be like, look how miserable I was. And they'd be like, we're proud of you. Good job. You were miserable in your life? Well, here's your miserable boy award. You win. I don't want to be miserable because nobody gives a damn. Nobody rewards you for it. They told me that in the hospital when I had my surgery. They said that nobody um, nobody wins anything for being in pain. They tell you, go to the hospital. If you're sick, go to the doctor. Don't just stay at home. You don't win anything. And I remember being like, yeah, that's right. I don't win anything. Nobody cares. Being the most miserable person doesn't get you anything. In fact, we can keep playing this game over and over again. I'm miserable. You're miserable until eventually we find the most miserable person in the world. And then we can give them the award. And I mean, I don't know. They're probably being eaten by a tiger. What do they care? They don't care about their award. All I know is that you're not the most miserable person in the world. If you're listening to this podcast and you have a device that plays sounds near you, 
that can play information and music, you're not the most miserable person in the world. There's people tied up. It's not you. You're right. You know, unless you are tied up. But even then, you're listening to a podcast. I mean, it's you're getting some sort of entertainment. In life, as I said earlier, the only thing you have is right now. And for me, I woke up and I kind of thought about that. And you take inventory of where you are, you look at what you're doing, and you fix it. And that's what I did. I fixed it, you know. I like to do stupid movie quotes. My life is stupid movie quotes. I've been told by people that I just do stupid movie quotes. Wonderful human beings. Um, and I love it. I don't care. That's one of those things, too, where people can try to cut you down. Well, two stupid movies. Yeah, I do. I do stupid movie quotes. Karate Kid, right in the beginning, right before Johnny beat up Daniel at the beach. And they're setting up on the thing, on the, uh, on the hill. And they're on their little mopeds. They were the cool guys in the mopeds. He goes to give Johnny a beer. And he goes, come on, Johnny, you're still the ace degenerate. You're his ex-degenerate man. It's like 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'm a senior. And I got one year to make it all work. And that's what I'm going to do, make it all work. And that mindset that he had in the beginning of that movie was perfect. He should have just done that. But he didn't. He got so caught up. Daniel pissed him off. He had to go beat up Daniel. And he had that, that alley and her radio, right? She didn't want him to have the radio. And then he's like, give me my radio. And he throws it on the ground. And she gets mad. And Daniel picks it up. What a little jerk. So Daniel picks it up. He punches him in the face. And Daniel punches him in the face. Didn't even know him. And Johnny then spends the next, like, six months chasing this kid around. Fighting an old man, right? Where did that come from? His sensei is beating him up. Everybody's beating him up. And do you know what? None of it would have happened if he would have just been a senior at 8 a.m. and just made it all work. So you know what? My name is James Gutman. It's 8 a.m. I'm a senior, and I got one year to make it all work. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it all work. So let's make it work. That does it for me. Until next time, this is James Gutman saying, be well. See you next Friday. Bye, pot. I'm done.